This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about Acts 12 today, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. We have to move pretty quickly because we have to cover the whole chapter today. So we're going to jump right into it. Um, Beginning in verse 1. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. Okay, Clayton. Up to this point, excuse me, what are the major moves that we've seen happen in the story alongside the conversation of political powers or like socioeconomic or ethnic breakdowns? We've seen Acts chapter 2. At Pentecost, mm-hmm. where both men and women, slave and free, will prophesy, and they speak in tongues. So we have one common language among all the people represented, mm-hmm. right? So that's what God represents. Mm-hmm. Then we have what the institution of the church represents. Power, corruption, Saul, Caiaphas, they murder Stephen, right? But that's the church. That's Israel. That's Judaism. That's the church. Who's Herod? Herod is political power, institutional power. For who? For, well, really the Romans, but over. Rome. 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 We now have governmental. Yeah. So we have like religious institutional political power, and now we have the actual governmental empire Mm -hmm. persecuting the Christians. Sure. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. After, excuse me. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. So what do we make up of this? What we make up is... Now we have a political power involved. We had a power, and there's all this language about the power of the spirit. And so you have this natural power and hierarchy metaphor built into it, and God is breaking them down, right? Neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. And we speak in tongues. That's Acts chapter 2. That's the move of God that God's trying to enact. Then you have these powers that be that are limiting this message. This is absolutely a religion of oppressed people. So Herod now gets involved and he starts having people killed and arrested. One of the people he has arrested is Peter. Now, 
Why would it be important for you to know that Peter's arrested? Because Peter's been on the move. Well, Peter's been on the move. But why else? Who Who is Peter to the church? Peter's the rock of the church. The rock of the church. He's the, like, he is the leader of the church right now. And so it does two things for you. It shows you, number one, that the leader of the church is now in prison. Mm-hmm. That's extremely problematic, yeah. right? But it also shows you that the leader of the church, the power of the church, is in the lows. Mm. He's in prison. He's doing the same things that everybody else is doing. He's no different. Yep. It is him. He is, for, for all that we make fun of Peter for, the book of Acts is laying him out to be the opposite power metaphor to all these other people. And so that's the landscape that you need to understand this story through. Verse 6. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Stop. So, Clayton, what's happening in this story? We got Peter in prison, and now we got what? We've got an angel appearing to him. Who? Which we would put into a category of, like, divine intervention. Sure. God is acting in some way in the world, mm-hmm. in, in a way that is supernatural. Mm-hmm. You will find it common... Throughout the book of Acts, I'm hesitant to say every time. It is common in the book of Acts that you will find a miracle with a prayer. A praying people, a praying church will experience a miracle. Read verse 5 for me, Clayton. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. The book of Acts, while it's breaking down all the power elements, it's very much so, because it's breaking down the power elements, it's elevating the communal equality element. Mm. And what's communally equal amongst everyone? Prayer. The ability to pray. The ability to contribute in the move of God happening. And so... In the book of Acts, the way the like if you were gonna talk about these two powers at B and the way in which God is is trying to level the playing fields here, um, prayer is the vehicle through which that's happening. Mm-hmm. Verse seven Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. 
It opened for them of its own accord, and they went outside and walked along a lane when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Okay. So we see lots of miracles in the Bible. Mm -hmm. What are some common miracles we see? Healings, um, probably the most common. Uh, well, probably the most common is exorcism. Oh, Jesus is exercising demons fair left enough. and right. I I put that. Yeah, no, okay. So probably the most common is exorcisms. Second most common is probably healings, miraculous healings. Third most common. Yeah, third most common is probably what will fall into the other categories like calming of storms. Um, well, mul- Jesus' multiplication, you know, mm-hmm. there are some other ones that happen, but this one falls into the other category, and we don't see very many uh, of these except... In the book of Acts, because everybody's in and out of prison. Right. But this is a pretty miraculous way in which somebody would escape prison. This is not... um, This is not... It shouldn't go unnoticed that there's a ton of guards around him, and he has a conversation with an angel. Mm -hmm. And yet, he somehow gets right out from under them. So already what it's showing you is that no matter what your power is, God can accomplish what God wants to within that power. God's not limited by power and can even do it with only one person. They got dudes all over, right? What What does it say? Peter was bound with two chains was sleeping between two soldiers while guards in front of the doors were keeping watch over the prison. Yeah. So Peter's in between two of them, and there's two at the gate, and he's got chains. There's a lot of oppressive power metaphors in this story, and God just walks in and like goes, okay, let's do this. Come on, get up. We're going to have a conversation. Like, what? We're going to move quickly, but we're going to, like, I'm not limited by this. So then there's this funny instance here where he leaves in verse 12. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. When he knocked at the outer gate, a maid named Rhonda, uh, Rhoda, came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. Okay, so I want you to picture this. Everybody knows that Peter's in prison, right? Mm -hmm. Peter's the leader of the church. Yeah. Peter rolls up to this person's house, who he clearly feels comfortable with because he, like, rolls up to their house. He's out of prison. Mm Mm-hmm. He knocks on the outer gate. The maid comes up, sees that it's Peter. She's so happy. She doesn't open the door (laughs) and she turns around and runs inside to tell them that Peter's at the gate. Yeah. Okay. 
The funniest exchange here. Verse 15. They said to her, you are out of your mind. (laughs) But she insisted that it was so. They said, it is his angel. (laughs) Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. (laughs) Okay, so this dude means so much to them. And I don't know who this maid chick was. Like, there's a very easy way to prove you're right. Go open the darn door and let him in. Yeah. But this exchange here, I think it's so humorous because Luke, like, imagine why Luke would include this. Why would Luke add this to the story? Does it, I mean. To show maybe the role and the relationships that he played with so many people. Well, I think it's, I think it's twofold. I think it's to let you know how beloved Peter was. Yeah. We always make fun of Peter or I make fun of Peter all the time. He's easy Peter, to make fun of. He's an odd head. He doesn't get it. You know, at times it just seems like he spends all this time with Jesus for the free food or something. I don't like, he just does not get it time and time and time again. But then sometimes he gets it. Yeah. And it's in the moments that he gets it that people seem to fall in love with him. This man is beloved. But also, why would Luke want to include a story in which a maid has the right to backtalk the employer, the owners of the home? Versions of equality or equity. Because Luke is the gospel writer for the outcast, the oppressed, the marginalized. Luke is trying to show you that, remember those socioeconomic, all those breakdowns, slave-free, that... Acts 2 was impacting. Yeah, those are starting to show up in some kind of way in the actual practice of the people of faith. Yeah. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he added, tell this to James and to the believers. Then he left and went to another place. When morning came, there was no small commotion among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Mm. <laughs> no <laughs> joke. <laughs> when Herod had searched for him and could not find him, he examined the guards and ordered them to be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Okay. So, once again, and I'm harping on the political metaphor here and the religious metaphor and the power system because you're about to see them come to a head in the next little blurb of five verses that we're about to look at. But, so now we see the way God and God's people are reacting to the terrible things that are happening to them, right? They're being persecuted. Their people are dying. Their people are being put to death and imprisoned by empire and by religious institution. And God is still acting, and they are experiencing joy. They And they are acting in equity and equality. And then Herod, when something doesn't go his way, How does he respond? Violence, anger, and death. He has his own guards killed. 
There's no loyalty here. No loyalty. Everything about this is showing you the broken systems. Verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they came to him in a body. And after winning over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for a reconciliation because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat on the platform, and delivered a public address to them. The people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a mortal. Okay. So we see Herod now in a political issue, right? Herod's got issues with Tyre and Sidon. They're coming to talks to a peace treaty because they need food from Herod. Mm -hmm. They come up. They come up with one. They're going to reconcile. So Herod wakes up one day, I'm sure planned. He puts on his royal robes, the best of what he's got. Lavish wealth. Lavish wealth, I'm sure. Sits down and begins to give them an address, and they shout. The people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a mortal. So now his people have elevated him to the place of God. Mm -hmm. Right? So now we see all of these three systems. We see God at work, we see the religious institution at work, and we see the political institution at work. They have now compared Herod to God. This is what the text says. And immediately, because he had not given the glory to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and was and he was eaten by worms and died. Remember how I told you off air that there was a really funny verse in here? Mm. Yeah, it's that one. And immediately, because he had not given the glory to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Very strange. Very, very strange. And so what, what do you make of it? I think what you see is we're getting to the end of this section of the story. And remember, a good story, a tight story the end must solve the issue that's begun in the beginning. Mm. The beginning of this story tells us that now we have another people persecuting God's people, the church, and that's Herod and the institution. And verse three tells us why. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, I think we've seen for a long time political powers, understanding the power in a religious institution and what they can bring to politics. This is not a controversial podcast, and so I'm not going to talk about it here. We will talk about it some tomorrow on A Closer Look, or sorry, on Let's Talk. But I think you see these things at play here. And, and so because he does not give God the glory... God says, nope, or an angel of the Lord, whatever you make up of that, dunzos. 
strikes him down, and apparently Luke wants you to think so little of him that he was eaten by worms and died, and nobody helped him. He's the king. Yeah. I don't think that's actually like a statement on how he died. Right. I think that's a statement on how Luke wants you to view him. He was the king. There's no way that's how that went down. <clears throat> Although it but, does paint a picture of him just giving an address and worms popping out of his face. Correct. And I think that's part of the image that you're supposed to you're supposed to get. Yeah. And he and here's the culmination of it. Verse 24. But the word of God continued to advance and gain adherence. Then after completing their mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem and brought with them John, whose other name was Mark. So now we have new people on the move. And those people on a move have just in some way been shown that... There are powers at be fighting against this movement. Yeah. I would say that is still true today. That is still very true today. And I think the, the truth of the matter is, and I'm going to find some way to tell this in the story when I record it, the truth of the matter is, is that the only way to exist in light of these are in prayer and equitable community, faithful community. The world is broken. The religious institution is broken. The political institution is broken. It is all broken. The only way we can get through it is with Christian people trying to live faithfully to the divine trying to pursue divine likeness and being in prayer together. That's the only way that we will ever make it out of this broken world.